You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. This is Matt. Hey, it's Ben. You're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. We have uh, one of the one of the people that we reissued our first conversation with back in December, Mako Nagasawa. Mm-hmm. We brought him back to Coming talk back around to talk about uh, atonement. This is part of our deconstruction series where we are, mm-hmm. are talking about things that some people in our community are bothered by or have questions about, uh, and this one was about the particular uh, atonement theory, penal substitutionary atonement, mm-hmm. that I, I when I became a Christian, that was concomitant with the gospel, meaning the gospel was the penal substitutionary atonement theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what's happened over the last 20 years of being a Christian is I put on some weight. I really have put on some weight. <laughs> and I got more gray hair. And, and yeah. But uh, what I've come to see is that that uh, particular theory of the atonement um, has a historical situated uh, reason for being, and that it it's it doesn't explain everything. And there are some questions about it. So we had mm. Mako come on, who has read more Church Fathers than I'll ever read. Mm. Uh, he's brilliant, um, and he he actually gets his dander up a bit about it. <laughs> he does, <laughs> he but does. but it's helpful. To, it's helpful to hear critiques of things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, part of part of my life sort of mission statement is to always critique the tribe I'm a part of mm-hmm. rather than critiquing the people who aren't me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I want, wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I want us to take our own stuff seriously. So Mako yeah. helps us think about this stuff yeah. more robustly yeah. and gives some critiques about it. So would love to hear your thoughts about Mako's research yeah. and exegesis yeah, etc. And I think another thing to say is this: this isn't just a purely academic exercise. Like, hmm, here's some interesting new thoughts. But uh, for me, expanding my view of what happened on the cross and and expanding my why view does of the, the gospel, cross matter? Yeah. Right. It has affected everything about my ministry. It affects the way I preach. It affects how I think about and practice evangelism. 
Um, and it's been much, it's been so freeing to be able to expand my vision of what the gospel is um, to include uh, something more than just one theory of the atonement. So yeah. it's, it's a very, very much a leadership issue. It's very much a ministry issue. Um, how we think about this stuff is, uh, is really important for our, our ministries, and I'm hopeful that this podcast will help you think about those things. Yes. One other thing that may or may not be important to what Mako has to say, I just realized that my shirt I'm wearing uh-huh. is made up of 43% visco- viscose from bamboo. Hmm. My shirt's made from bamboo material. Yeah. I didn't know that could happen. I've owned this shirt for four years. I didn't know this. Yeah. Yeah. So right. when you were saying whether it's relevant to Mako's uh, speaking here, you're pre- you're, that was uh, you being a little bit facetious. Uh, yeah. It's not at all related to that. I just yeah. I just discovered this. We want to get right to the <laughs> interview. We've got a few events coming up. Yep. Yeah. We're doing a Parenting and Grace and Truth workshop in Lansing. We're doing uh, Enneagram in Holland. We're doing Enneagram in Kalamazoo. We're going to be all over Michigan uh, this spring. Yeah. So yeah, come, see come us. visit us. Uh, there's links in the show notes. We'd love to see you if you live in or around Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, let's get to this episode with Mako yeah, Nagasawa. Mako Nagasawa, welcome to the podcast. Again. Thank you very much, it's good Ben to, and Matt, for having me. Good yes. to have you back. We promised to have you back, and here, here we go, making good on that. Yep. Great. Yep. <laughs> um, after we, uh, we, Matt was just saying before we hit record, that after we hit the, or after we republished your, um, we kind of, at the end of 2019, we did a bunch of uh, reissued podcasts, uh, because we realized a lot of people who, a lot of listeners we've picked up uh, over the past a few months, who have maybe not listened uh, from day one. And uh, your podcast was pretty fairly early. I think it was episode 40-something. Mm. Um, so anyway, so we wanted to reissue some of our favorites. And yours was one of our favorites, Mako. And uh, so yes. we're eager to have you back on. Yes. Thanks. It was one of my favorite things to do in, in the last year, too. Oh, so that's, awesome. oh, that's great. That's great. Mako, you are the founder, and you run the Anastasis Center. I'd love for you to tell us what that is. You also do campus ministry, and you're yeah. also... Did you finish up your MA at the... I did. I finished um, <laughs> in, in theological studies. Good. good. At, a, at a Greek Orthodox seminary there in New England, yeah? Yes. Okay. Uh, called Holy Cross uh, Greek Orthodox Seminary. Great. Fantastic. Great. So Lovely. the Anastasis Center, what used to be called the New Humanity Institute, uh, yeah. which probably freaks some people out, right? It sounded a little yeah, a little new agey <laughs> or something like that. It, it, it either <laughs> sounded new agey or it was too close to the NIH, the National Institute for Health. And so we oh. got mistaken for a, a government <laughs> agency, which that creates its own problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can, you give, but yes. can you give our listeners a brief uh, introduction to the Anastasis Center, what, what it is, why it exists? Yes, the Anastasis Center for Christian Education and Ministry is uh, an organization that focuses on on curriculum development and, and providing good resources to the uh, to the public, mostly you know lay people, pastors, Christian leaders, uh, seminarians, and seminary professors. There, there's some uh, seminary professors who use our stuff, and and we're really honored by anyone who drops by our site and and looks at that one of our main focuses uh is is to make uh a lot of the discussion happening at the academic level 
much more accessible and user-friendly. So, you know, we have evangelism tools that, uh, that, that focus on, uh, that kind of distill uh, patristic thought, uh, which we call medical substitutionary atonement into yeah. something really usable or Bible study guides or Christian ethics um, study guides that small groups can use that actually tie Christian ethics uh, to issues of criminal justice reform or the environment and ecology, mm -hmm. uh, race and politics. And so yeah. On. Yes. We did one of your, just to plug it, we, we did, did one of your courses uh, last year uh, as a church, the Long Repentance course, kind of talking about the history of racism uh, within Christian, uh, the Christian world. And in economic injustice. Economic injustice. Yes, and all, and all kinds of things. It was yeah, great. it connects to all kinds of different things. That's a great resource. Uh, we'll, we'll link to the Anastasis Center in the show notes. I'd, I'll just say there is so much drivel on the internet. Um, yeah. And no, there are... I, I think it's getting better. Ben, it is... Just kidding. There's a lot of... It is a crapshoot out there. Yeah, yeah. But um, your site, I can't believe it's free, first of all, Mako. It's a masterclass in, um, I think, cultural and patristic and theological studies. So I heartily recommend it. It's amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I hope it's useful uh, to people at, at all different levels and walks of life. Yeah. Yeah. Building it up. One of the things that I've learned from you on this site uh, was we're, we're, having, we're doing a series right now about um, those of us who are losing maybe the faith that we were raised with, uh, or we come to faith later in life, and we, f we have some issues or problems with the faith that we're receiving, and, it, and we're stuck on the horns of a dilemma. We either kind of walk away from Jesus, or, or uh, what we want to talk about today, I think what people do is they, they sort of um, put a damper on their conscience, mm -hmm. and they kind of like hold their nose and swallow the medicine of theology that bothers them. Um, yes. So uh, today I want to focus in on the gospel. Um, what what is the gospel? Here here is the gospel I received when I was uh, an unbeliever, far from God, um, and it was basically this exchange, like it was a transaction. I I understood that Jesus uh, had to die for me mm -hmm. in order for God to forgive me. And that um, my sin, the wages of sin was my death. Hey, you've done campus ministry. You know this bridge illustration, Mako. The wages <laughs> yes, of sin absolutely. is death, but the gift of God is uh, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus pays the penalty of my sin, which is death, uh -huh. which then enables me to, be, uh, to have his righteousness or merit imputed or reckoned to my account. And my, my ledger goes from a debt I could never pay to more uh, righteousness that I could than I could ever merit myself, mm. and that yes. uh, and that I don't know if this is the right word, but that sort of unlocks or opens up then God's uh, forgiveness and healing and mercy and love to me. Yes, um, we encounter people all the time who are who receive that gospel, who became a Christian with that gospel but are beginning to have questions about some of the logic inherent in that exchange and also yep. how that understanding of the cross developed in mm -hmm. history and also yep. and also does that comport is that the best meta story to tell about what scripture says and so you so uh did did I pres that's known as the penal substitutionary atonement theory of 
the atonement. Did I present that charitably? Yes. Yes, I, I think so. Okay. Um, Anything I left out that you feel like is important in that schema? I, I think if people are, are going to be a little more technical, they would say that Jesus died to satisfy the retributive justice of God. Okay. So that so that he exhausted the retributive justice and wrath of God for for some amount of people. And uh and and that's why, you know, when we come to when a person comes to Jesus, um, God has no more wrath left over for that person. Okay. So so it opens up an experience of God from God's other attributes, right? Like hmm. love, mercy, grace, and and so forth. Um Hmm. And, and and that leads to that that leads logically to uh, the, the idea of limited atonement because well how much retributive justice of God did did Jesus absorb or exhaust and and then is that then for everybody can I say to my non Christian friend that God loves you and Jesus died for you if I don't actually know if he is in the elect covered by the limited atonement. Uh, so yeah. you know, yeah. J.I. Packer and uh, Owen and, and others who are big fans of penal substitutionary atonement and say that is the gospel have to also tie in the corollary, which is limited atonement, and then uh, some uncertainty yeah. about how to do ministry. Okay, so you just introduced uh, about a dozen things I want to chat more about. Yeah. But yes, I, I'm I sorry to well, I, this is this is why this podcast could take uh, six weeks. Um, you talked about retributive justice. Um, yes. You talked about the wrath of God, uh, and you talked about limited atonement. Um, could yep. you, maybe to start, um, it, it was a mind blowing for me when I realized that the penal substitutionary atonement theory did not equal the gospel. Yes. Uh, could you briefly sum up the um, the difficulties and problems when you equate an understanding of the cross with the good news? Yes. Uh, well, starting with the historical and, and linguistic basis, the word gospel or good news comes from euangelion, which was a word used uh, in Isaiah 52, but also in uh, Roman parlance at the time right. for the, the Roman Empire. Like when a, a, Roman, a new Roman emperor is born or ascends the throne, that was the euangelion, the good news of the, the Roman Empire. And so Christians were it was an inherently, uh, uh, you know, something about lordship, mm-hmm. and and Christians tied it to, like Paul saying in the gospel of God, the evangelion of God, but to Jesus's resurrection and ascension. It's referring to the fact that he now reigns above yes. the powers, yes, and and calls into being a new community, worshiping him and obeying him. Uh, so so it's a it's a very personal. Uh, thing, but when we equate the word gospel to uh, Jesus's death, then it the the focus shifts, and and people then begin to ask a whole whole bunch of other questions. Okay, right mm-hmm. that were you know possible to talk about. They were always there, but then they receive kind of the center as the emphasis. Yeah, so I hear what I hear you saying is that the gospel is an announcement of the kingship or lordship of Jesus, of yep. which the cross is a part, but it's it is not the whole. Right. And I hear to tie a 
uh, theory of atonement, which is essentially how does the cross work? What are the mechanics behind yep. the cross mm-hmm. that do the good work for us? Um, to tie that to the gospel is also problematic in the sense that um, how the how the cross works is a subset, smaller question inside of a larger how is Jesus King? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Can, can I can I give a, an example of this? I just this just popped into my head. I don't know if it's helpful or not. So um, the you know everybody can decide. <laughs> um, but I was thinking like the the it's it's sort of like if you locate. If you locate too specifically one aspect of, of an overall thing, like it's sort of like the good the gospel is sort of like inviting inviting your family to come to dinner because it's dinner time, right? So there's the good news of dinner's ready. So hey, right. everybody's hungry, let's eat, right? Dinner's ready. I like that. It's good news, yeah. Mm-hmm. You like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so dinner's ready. That's the good news, and it would be the same kind of mistake as saying um, that. That good news, dinner's ready, is the same as what recipe did you use to make the corn? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so the good news is dinner's ready. The good news is not, hey, everybody, come read this recipe and understand how the corn was made. I didn't know you needed a recipe to make corn. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just making things up. But yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good analogy. Or, or, or maybe one step further, how, let, me, let, me, uh, let me tell you for one part of this meal how hard I had to work in the kitchen. <laughs> And, and how you should therefore feel yes. about coming to this dinner. meal that I'm serving you. Oh yes, yep. That's that's really good. Too. Flashback to childhood Thanksgiving dinners. So so Mako then. Anyway, hopefully so, that was illuminating. And so not, so okay. Mako, for many of us and many of our listeners, then um, to to equate a theory of atonement with the gospel is uh, di- diminishes the the global aspect of the gospel and also kind of gets a minor thing and makes it a main thing within the gospel. But then right. also, too, there's multiple theories of how what how Jesus' death is efficacious for us, and what way to, is his death central and essential and necessary. Um, right. Wh- where, did, where did this particular theory of the atonement come from, the, the penal substitutionary atonement? Is it, um, you know, how did it, when did it first appear on the scene? Uh, most clearly in, in Luther and Calvin. And and uh, what what they basically said was Jesus um, received the the wrath of God on his own person, right? So wrath, mm. uh, God's retributive justice is expressed in some kind of wrath and torment that's inflicted on people. It we would all experience it in hell if not for Jesus, who on the cross somehow absorbed it or absorbed some of it for some people. Or, or absorbed it for some people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the whole thing of, well, therefore we, <clears throat> we, we tie whatever we think Jesus went through at the cross to whatever we think happens in hell. So, mm. so there's that part of it. Okay. Uh, but I think the, the most important part is that they isolated um, an attribute of God, supposedly like his, kind of holiness, wrath, retributive justice, kind of that constellation of attributes and said it needed to be satisfied. Mm. And, and by that, uh, basically what God did not get in terms of human obedience, he, uh, you know, he wasn't satisfied by the human obedience he was getting because that wasn't satisfactory and we all, we all sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, so therefore he will satisfy himself through human suffering, hmm. yeah. right? And it, it has to do with actually um, 
legal developments in the Western European world that was yeah. uh, tied to uh, a renewal of interest in, in how the ancient Roman Empire, the pagan Roman Empire, did uh, merit and punitive justice. Okay. So, so that kind of reinvigorated that that line of, of thinking. It also mm -hmm. focused on the that Jesus absorbed something on his personhood as opposed to that and by by his passive obedience absorbing wrath from the father and as opposed to his active obedience of applying his wrath on the corruption of sin within his human nature yeah so, so uh and that gets into mm. distinctions between you know retributive justice versus restorative justice like is jesus the passive recipient of retribution or is he the active agent of restoration at the cross bringing forth a new humanity mm. which was uh which, which was in line with his incarnation his human life his struggle against temptation yes his death to kill the thing that was killing us his resurrection to raise his new humanity raise humanity is human nature new and cleansed so yeah so, so it does a whole bunch of things, but that is where, yeah. that is where it entered in, um, at around four hundred years ago. Yeah, that that I think that's really helpful um, because I, I I know I grew up because I grew up with this understanding of penal substitution, substitutionary atonement, all the legal kind of you know the law, all of those assumptions. So when I read the Bible, I assumed that's what I was seeing. Because, you know, you can attach, you know, there's mention of the law, and there's, you know, you can attach these ideas right. to the text, and you think that what you're reading is coming to you from the text. And so I think this is really important to, to think about the historical development of some of these doctrines, some of these theories, um, because I think it's naive to think that, you know, the text just gives us these things, and not to realize that actually I bring, I import things like you know, all the cultural stuff you were talking about, this reinterest in the pagan Roman Empire and how they did justice. And then, you know, in the in their interest of that, they probably look at the Bible and think, oh, God does this too, you know? Yeah. Um, that that sort of thing. So um so anyway, so I think it's really it's really helpful uh to 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 notice this. I, I remember this gave me permission to start questioning it uh, without feeling like I was being unfaithful. Hmm. It's really really Absolutely. really helpful. Mm. Yeah, so you've mentioned this a few times. Um, words like punitive, I'm using the word penal, which uh, may make some people cringe, uh, yep. and also retributive as, uh, as words that exist inside of this concept of justice. And then you're, you're contrasting that with uh, words like restorative. Yep. Um, so can you describe maybe the difference between seeing justice as punishment or yeah. justice, justice as restoration or reconciliation. Hmm. Yes, and and the single best book uh, on this, I think, is uh, Iustitia Day by Alistair McGrath. Um, it's subtitled "The History of the Doctrine of of Justification." Hmm. Uh, essentially, in in the Old Testament, <clears throat> the the word "sedakah" righteousness has sometimes it has something to do with how do you respond to someone who does something wrong or sins or breaks a law, but it also is used to describe what, how do you respond charitably and with love to help someone out of say poverty, right? It's, it's the restoration of 
an original vision for relationship that God has. Mm -hmm. And when sin enters into the picture, the issue becomes how do we participate with God in the restoration of our human nature? Because what happened was Adam and Eve corrupted human nature. We inherit that and we do things that make it worse. And so, you know, the, the, the central idea in restorative justice in, in scripture, as well as in uh, conveniently uh, modern discussions about criminal justice reform in the United States yes. is, yes. is how can the offender participate in the healing and the restoration of uh, the, the victim the, because there was harm done. Now in retributive justice, the question is, is not so much uh, victim-centered and can the offender help, right? The, the, the question assumes in retributive justice, it is assumed that the offender basically does not really want to repent and, and, and can't help um, undo the harm. So therefore the, the offender needs to be um, punished in some proportional way in um, in a criminal justice context. However, in a Christian theological context, you know, the, the Lutheran Calvinist school of thought is that uh, the, the, the punishment is, the, or the retribution is infinite because God's, God is an infinite being. And mm -hmm. so to, to uh, cross God or, you know, to break his law, to offend him calls forth infinite retribution mm. um you know and and coming back to then how the the old testament especially sets this up i think it's really helpful to look at the command circumcise your heart in yeah. deuteronomy ten sixteen. yeah say more about that because circumcision is tied you tie circumcision as a metaphor and a, a an, ex, an explanatory concept to uh, atonement and it's really yes. helpful so yeah can I say one thing, real, just real quick? Let's get back to circumcision. But this came, this this uh, occurred to me the other day that about what you're saying about retributive justice, and I, you use the word the assumption, the assumption that what we need to do about something that happened that was wrong is punish the offender. And this, like what I what I thought the other day was, there's no self evident reason why that should be true. Yes, it exactly. Feel, it feels like it should be true, but it's like, well, what what sort of self evident reason is there that when I when I hurt if I hurt Matt, it's not self evident that what should happen that just justice means I should be punished that I should suffer in some way. It's not self evident to me yeah. any, anymore. It used to sort of feel that way, but it's like I can't think of a reason why that should be the way it is. Why why is that righteous? That doesn't even make any sense anymore to me. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So right. How, is, how is this tied to circumcision then? Yeah. Well, let's come back later to the eye for an eye passage because mm, that's, okay. that's where most people get it. Good. Uh, uh, well, the circumcision is interesting because God, uh, you know, through Moses says to the people of Israel, circumcise your heart. And, and what that is, why that is important is because the command as as the Israelites were doing the commands and and carrying them out faithfully uh, to some extent, and no one did it perfectly, but to the extent that they were able to, they they would do something 
to their own human nature. They were cutting away something from their own human nature, the mm. sinfulness, the corruption of sin that should never have been there in the first place. Mm. And so the, the imagery of circumcision is a medical surgical uh, image. And hmm. if, if what the, if that's a real, you know, if that had real impact and, you know, in the Psalms and Proverbs, this is why uh, they would say, uh, cleanse me, O God, purify me, or uh, write the, uh, and the Proverbs say, write the, the law of God on your hearts. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah picks that up. There, there is the impact of our obedience or disobedience is, is in us. It impacts our human nature that we are human. We are human beings. Yes, but we're also human becomings that our choices have uh, an impact on us. It, it is confirmed by what neuroscience tells us today, for example, about if I were to watch uh, pornography or play excessive video games or take cocaine, like the same neural pathways in my brain would would form in such a way that make that choice more attractive the next time yeah. and then yeah. the next time, right? So there is, there's an impact that we have on our own human nature, and that's what God is after. He's for our healing, and he calls us... Hmm to participate in the healing of our own human nature. Mm. This, it's not magical. It has to do with our choices. I mean, there's something profoundly spiritual about it, but um, Hmm. uh, if that's the case, then we, we have to see the buildup to Jesus in a different way. What was God doing with Israel? He was, he was giving them a pretty demanding health regimen. Yes, that's true, but it was for their healing. And, and it, so that they would have more insight into yes. what is the problem with human nature that yes. we inherit and uh, can they document the disease? Mm-hmm. Can they forecast what the cure is going to be like yeah. and, and put that into a documented form so that we could rest on it? Yeah. So it changes then the law, for example, is not God's rules that if I break them, I get punished. But the law right. is is God saying God giving us a prescription and saying you yes. you guys are headed headlong into death. Like here's how you live, here here's how you participate in your own healing. Love the Lord your yes. God, you know, not these yes. idols, hmm. you know. Like hmm. the the law is a prescription. You know, the other thing that occurs to me, Mako, is that um, with all this talk of medical atonement, it's no wonder that people confused y'all with the National Institute of Health. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I, I do want to hear you say more about this. So yeah. we're, we're contrasting two sort of conceptual worlds. One is a yeah, juridical, good. legal, forensic framework inside of which God is a lawgiver, judge, his holiness is some kind of attribute that uh, when when offended must be, he, there must be satisfaction to his honor, you know, to yeah, put it right. in Anselmian terms. If, if you speed, you got to get a ticket. Well, yeah, like a, God's you know. justice is sort of like, um, if you break his justice, there needs to be restitution, and the restitution is through... Retribution. Uh, uh, is well, mean? yeah, retribution, but the restitution oh. is punishment. Like, that, that satisfies the, quote, wrath of God. You're talking about uh, using a different conceptual world where sin isn't um, primarily this affront to honor or the the breaking of a standard. Rather, right. it's a sickness, an illness, a disease. Corruption. Yep. Corruption. Yeah. Um, when when I like when I first heard about that, it was I was told that that was modern therapeutic 
deism Ah. that had infiltrated Christian theology. What say you to that, Mako? Uh, That is totally wrong as a historical (laughs) assessment. This is what what the early church believed. Uh, It is what the Eastern Orthodox Church continues to teach. It's what what the Catholic Church on paper has moved back to. It's what lots of Protestants are are rediscovering. And the issue is because, uh, partly because there's a lot of ridiculous conclusions that would come about if if God were so were such a perfectionist that any infraction against his 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 law his moral vision and yes that is that his commandments yes those are real and those are serious but you know stealing paper from the office would have the same basic quality of being punished punishable uh, by God God would have the same attitude towards that as you know assisting in the Holocaust the the Shoah of Nazi Germany you know. Is that really how God looks at all, all these things that we could do that are that are evil? Or is are all the things that we do influenced by some uh, deeper problem yes. and some prior condition that God wants to fix? And it so it's not that it, it's not that God uh, is is not serious about the things we do mm. is, but it's because he he is relational he is triune and he he also made us to be relational in our being so that we would grow develop and and perfect our humanity our human hmm. nature mm-hmm. in these relationships but that has that has a lot to do then with um uh what is the source of human evil mm-hmm. it's the corruption within us that is the deepest analysis of the problem. And that is where God, how God takes sin seriously. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think that the accusation that this is moral therapeutic deism has to do with the false perception and the, the lack of reflection on what does it mean to take sin seriously, actually? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does it mean to take evil seriously? This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Yeah, so what you're saying is, uh, the yes our, yes, our corruption makes us guilty, but our fundamental problem isn't the guilt, it's corruption. Exactly, and 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 our, and so then to heal, to fix, solve, heal that we don't just need a declaration of not guilty, but right. we we need a we need a heart transplant. We need yeah. surgery. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Could you? I mean, so maybe give us a couple. You mentioned church fathers. Can you give us a couple church fathers that that teach this or talk about this? And then um, 
you know, there's so many good syllogisms for PSA, right? I just mentioned yep. the bridge illustration. Could you maybe summarize what you call medicinal or ontological atonement uh, briefly for us? Sure. So uh, a few sources, the Odes of Solomon, the earliest uh, songbook, uh, worship book of the church. Uh, it, it is in Syriac. It appears to be uh, in, very influenced by John's gospel and mm -hmm. the way John talks. So lots of deep imagery about uh, light and water and, and things like that. But some of the, the songs are, are sung in the first person from Jesus's perspective. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. Wow. Uh, it is amazing, you know, and, and one of them in particular, <clears throat> I think it's ode 11 or 17. I, I'd have to look back at my notes has Jesus saying, I was circumcised, mm. right? Like the, of heart that he accomplished something to cut away something in himself that shouldn't in his own human nature that shouldn't have been there in the first place. And mm. that he, in that sense, fulfilled the law. He did what no other Israelite and no yes. other human being certainly was able to do, which is to perfect his human nature into the love of God, the spirit mm. of God, and um, to, to, to reflect the character of God the Father. Real quick then, what it means for Jesus to fulfill the law isn't just that he kept all 674 laws perfectly, but it means that he accomplished in himself the telos or goal of what the law was for. Exactly, yes, yes. yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right, because what's the goal of having a lot of regimented rules about going to the gym and how to run a marathon, right? It's right. to actually, it's to, it's to... Put, it's to get in shape. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's to live into the capacity of your uh, humanity, right? Like, wow, I can yes. run a really long ways. I'm very healthy. I, my lungs work, you know? I can get oxygen into my blood and, and live. Right. That's the point. Right. Exactly. And it, it's ontological. It relates to us and our humanity because God loves our humanity wants our growth. As opposed to God keeps a mental score sheet, sheet in his mind and he's a perfectionist for his own sake, and he cares more about his feelings and his expect and his experience of mm. us than our experience of us. Yes. That is ridiculous, and it makes God a narcissist. Well, <sighs> amen. I mean, you don't have to work too hard to convince me that American Christians uh, could fall in love with a narcissist. Right. <laughs> and it's the. Yes. Right. So, like, it's almost like there's it's almost like a, the inevitable end of the narcissistic American project is that we would uh, all become narcissists and project that onto God and then worship God as a projection of us. Mm. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, well, and and so so just to name a couple other uh, church sources. Yes. Uh, I'd say Irenaeus of Lyon. He is the probably the most important figure of the second century. He was discipled by Polycarp of Smyrna, who was discipled by John the Apostle. And so the, the continuity, it, the, the case for continuity is is very strong there. And, and he says, um, you know, that humanity had sin in ourselves. Jesus took on our humanity in order to uh, kill death and sin for us as one of us and then raise his humanity new yes. Athanasius yes. Uh, is the one of the greatest church fathers. He gave us the new Testament or listed the new Testament and described it in, in the way that we um, 
know it today, uh, fought Arianism. He describes this this way. And then Gregory of Nyssa uh, in The Life of Moses is kind of an allegorical story, but uh, fascinating things. Mm. Mm. So those are just a few sources that, yes. you know, I, I think cross both East and West, uh, yep. Greek and Latin yep. and Syriac. And I think that's important to attest to the fact that Hmm. Uh, this was how the early Christians thought. Yes. Yeah, and so uh, just to be clear, though, this is still a substitutionary atonement. But yes, but I'm, rather than being penal, it's medicinal. Right. So could you summarize, uh, maybe briefly, like what is the problem, how does Jesus solve it, and why do we call it ontological or medicinal? Um. <clears throat> Uh, we, we call it medicinal or medical or ontological because it relates to our humanity and what we had been, what we are and what we're called to become. Hmm. Uh, and, and the problem then relates, you know, to how, however we take the Genesis account, uh, there, there is something that we have internalized that d- doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to God. Now that the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life are, I would say they represent God because hmm. what are trees, right? If you if you uh, if you don't have any power tools, especially well, trees are bigger than you, they're mm. stronger than you, they're more firmly rooted than you, and they're older than you, and they also can give you fruit. They can give you. They can share life with you without dying themselves. <laughs> and so, uh, mm. the tree of life is represents God as life giver and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents God as law giver. He's the one who defines it. So eat the life, but leave the power to define good and evil with God. Right. And so two points make a line. They would have uh, looked at, had to put their back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and look at the tree of life, which is, at the center of the garden, according to the text of Genesis 2. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not at the center of the garden, but how easy it is then to to make limits and boundaries kind of the central thing Mm. we think about when when we think about God. No, it's about the life. Now, the the law-giving serves the life-giving. And instead of leaving that with God, that power to define good and evil, we took it into ourselves, and it... And it's become part of us. And for that reason, we we have become relativistic absolutists. We use the terms <laughs> good and evil, yeah. uh, 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 hmm. but we all want to define good and evil for ourselves, which is absurd. Good and evil are larger things than us. Hmm. We fit into a framework where there is good and evil. So we are smaller, hmm. but we, we all want to define it. So we are absolutists in the sense of we define, we, we believe in good and evil, but we're relativists because we each want to define it for ourselves. And so we're a contradiction now in, in a moral sense. Hmm. And we're in an ontological sense corrupted and something needs to be cut away from us now or burned away from us with our choices, Hmm. with our participation. Like we need to, we need to receive the diagnosis as well as the cure. A couple of things I hear that are different here. One is is that the 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 problem isn't an abstract problem on God's ledger somewhere, and the solution is in some transaction that happens in the heavenly realms that is then reckoned to us. Right. But rather, the problem is inside of us, 
mm-hmm. that impacts every thought, motivation, feeling, intention we have. And yep. the solution then is also uh, inside of us. It's 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 granular, particular, tangible, physical, rather than abstract uh, and ideal. Exactly. The problem is in us. It is not in God. So mm. when so the atonement is solving a problem in us and not in God. Yeah. yeah. It's not that God can't think of us in a new way and he has to like do something about it. It's that we're sick. We drank poison thinking it was the elixir <laughs> of life and we're right. dying now. Mm. And God has come to the rescue to say uh, like you know, be healed. Yeah. You you drank poison, you know. And most of it in our rebellion then isn't uh we di- we uh, we disobeyed the rule. Our rebellion is uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you drank poison. No, I didn't. It was the elixir of life. I'm fine. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Exactly. So then, so then, what to exactly. make of what to make of wrath? This was. Uh, I remember having a conversation with a friend, and he was like, "Do you even believe in the wrath of God?" And this was about ten years ago. And in my mind, God's wrath was His um, righteous anger against sinners. Right, and so. Yeah. Um, I could maybe think about that like God's anger against Hitler, and that did not maybe um, that didn't hurt my con- didn't didn't scald my conscience. You know what I mean? Mm. Like that was yeah, I get he it. He was pretty bad. He was pretty. So, yeah. uh, then I think of like uh, someone who is born to um, uh, he's a P- uh, she's a PK and her dad abuses her. And all she hears about is a legalistic, awful God, and she leaves that God, and she lives a life kind of this agnostic, whatever. But any mention of Jesus or God traumatizes her because of her Cossack upbringing, and she dies at 22 of ovarian cancer, and God's wrath is against her for the rest of her life. Like, that, that sort of, like, really bothered me. Like, mm. that God would treat her as an enemy. Same as Hitler. Same as Hitler. Yeah. Um, yes. But, 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 but... Uh, I think you have such a helpful, there's a different object yes. of God's wrath in penal substitutionary atonement and what you're talking about, medicinal uh, atonement. Could you describe the difference? Because God's wrath still exists, but it's, yes. it's, <laughs> it's much more redemptive. Can you, t- can you describe that? Yes. Um, and, and the framework, what, you know, the, the framework totally matters. And, and before jumping back into the text of scripture or anything, just deal with two metaphors because how we understand these metaphors can, can help. A surgeon can be totally wrathful against the cancer in your body because she loves you. Yes. Right. And so the, the big distinction in a medical surgical framework is that uh, wrath is directed at the thing that is against us. It is mm-hmm. in us. And it's become somehow present in our nature, but it was never intended to be there. And it, but it, and it's not our personhood either, no. right? So the, the love of God is for our personhood. The wrath of God is directed at the corruption of sin in our nature. That's so that, that that's a very simple analogy. But you know, again, this is why circumcision is so helpful because it is a surgical analogy of cutting away something that is unclean. That God doesn't want to be there. Um, yes, we could we could deal with the the imagery of fire as a refining fire. How do you separate gold from dross? Same idea, cutting away, burning away something that shouldn't be there. Uh, the 
the what the western legal analogy is to say that a judge god is a judge he has a law we broke the law and indiscriminately god says it's the death penalty for everyone who who breaks any part of this law yeah. and and again getting to your point like it's strange like really i mean everyone god is indiscriminate somehow um about how he views our our actions uh and and therefore jesus steps in and absorbs some of that punishment but in that case uh god's love and his wrath are are mutually exclusive or in in terms of intention maybe yeah Yeah, and and but in any case however one lands on how how best to articulate it uh love and wrath are both aimed at our personhood and this is why john calvin could say god hated us even while he he loved us right there's a there's a basic conflation of our, our sinfulness with yes. our identity and, as human beings. Yes. And, and so the, the, the Western legal system especially can't, just cannot deal with, with mm. any distinction. It makes no sense to say the judge is punishing the corruption of sin in us uh, in, in a Western. Yeah, we have no way of thinking uh, about that court yeah uh even though that is actually what's happening in the old testament in the hebrew justice system and and so forth there there's a distinction that can be made in the medical framework um that in the western legal system can't i i think that that metaphor is just worth i think uh coming back to that uh, because it's so helpful um it it would be to to sort of assume that my identity now as a person is is the same as my the corruption of sin in me would be right. the same if I got a diagnosis of cancer. It would be the same thing as me saying, "Well, I guess I'm cancer now. You should probably right. kill me." Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not good for I'm not good for society. I'm yeah. cancer. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, it's so helpful the way that we think about cancer now is like, no, we hate cancer. You know what I mean? Like, there's a yeah. lot of that kind of right. anger is actually right. cultivated in cancer patients to say like this helps you to hate this anger yeah. in you, you yes. or sorry to hate this cancer um and to you know so in that sense like the surgeon is wrathful against the cancer to say we're going to cut every bit of that out of you yeah. but it's unto your life hmm. you know it's un- it's unto your flourishing and unto your health so what i what i hear you saying yeah. in, in psa then wrath and love are two different things mm. um in in a medicinal uh, or ontological atonement, um, wrath is an expression of God's love. Yes, so, it is. So it's an activity of God's love. It's an. It's a, that's good. A good. So it's a. So it's an. It's a movement against anything that would hinder or corrupt communion mm-hmm. or our participation in His life. Yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas the way you the way you described it before was. Wrath was this thing that was front and center. It was the most immediate experience we had of God, and some, we had to get it out of the way so that we could get to his love. So, like, again, the problem is in God. The God God's like, ah, I can't help but be super wrathful. I can't love you yet. I can't love you yet unless <laughs> we can do something about all this wrath, you know, and yeah. we got to clear it away, and then it's like, oh, yeah, there's some love. For some but, of you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For some of you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mako. This is so helpful. Mako, maybe... Maybe as we wrap up here, like, what difference does this make? I mean, I know you work with college students. You talk with people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. How, how does this change the way you 
care for people who are hurting or doubting or rebelling or um, want to know about who God is? Like, how, what difference does this mm. different understanding of what the cross is doing and what the gospel is? How does it, how does it change the way you minister? It, I mean, I think it makes all the difference because, um, first of all, uh, I'll, I'll describe it evangelistically and, and then maybe also pastorally. <clears throat> evangelistically, um, well, actually, let me tell a story that unites them both. Yeah. Um, years ago, I was speaking at a retreat. There were about 120 college students at this particular retreat, and it was in the woods of New Hampshire. And uh, about 10, 15 of those students were, were non-Christians and were mindful of that. Uh, the, the theme was images of God in a broken world. And we talked about, well, like, what images do we have, do, do we get of God, do we form of God if we live in a broken world where there is evil, especially human evil? And we had pictures of children all around the room who were in different conditions of suffering, child soldiers, child prostitutes. I mean, it's just horrible um, pictures. And and we said, on some level, we're sorry that we're we're doing this. And yet we, we want our experience here and what we talk about here out in the woods of New Hampshire to, to relate to the deepest needs of the world. Hmm. That What are the urgent things that we we care about? Hmm. And let's not remove ourselves. Now, you know, because I don't have a huge budget. I can't fly us to these places where these children are actually um, are and, and where we can observe them firsthand, but we have these pictures. So, so we talked about these two things together. What, what are the images of God that we have as a result of seeing this kind of brokenness and evil among human beings and uh, you know, what is going on? And in the end, I described Jesus as, you know, he took this, this human nature that we all have that is very deeply selfish and self-centered. And normally, even, you know, if just left to our own devices, we could go home after an experience like this this weekend and uh, think about it for an hour and then just go back to our pizza and our routine and just say, that was a nice experience, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, instead, uh, you know, Jesus took that human nature uh, that it isn't just uh, tempted towards apathy, but also anger and lust and uh, abuse and uh, greed and, and <clears throat> all these things that cause the evil in the world. And <clears throat> he, he wrestled it down all his life until the cross where he killed, he went to his death, kind of like Harry Potter killing the, <laughs> the Horcrux, the, the dark part of Voldemort's soul that was that was in him, but that never should have been there. You know, yeah. Jesus, Jesus killed something in himself that yeah. never should have been there. And he did it for us. It was his active obedience, not his passive obedience. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he, yeah, he perfected God's commandments so that it, that was in him. And in his resurrection, he came with a, he came back with a God soaked, God drenched new humanity. Mm. And, uh, is able to share that with us by his spirit. So I asked people to think about what kind of commitment they wanted to make and stand up from their seat. And instead of facing me, face the picture that has most impacted them, right? So face outward into the room. Hmm. And 
<clears throat> and if that is, you feel like Jesus is uh, calling you to deal with whatever evil is in you that, that prevents you from moving forward into the world mm. with a posture of restoration, healing, courage, and, and strength and love, um, then great. If you're not a Christian and you, you want to do that, you, basically um, say, that, say to Jesus that you are giving your, the deepest part of yourself to him and you're recognizing what he did on your behalf. Uh, that that he died and rose in order to perfect a new humanity for you and you want to receive it as you are moved by something <clears throat> that you've you know seen thought about heard you know and see before you right now mm-hmm. and so it was uh you know in ministry terms it was a high bar conversion because I was calling people to social justice and evangelism yeah. and personal yeah. discipleship, yes. right? Because I was asking people, not only are you doing this, but you're, you're actually, I want you to commit to inviting other people to Jesus because who else deals with human evil at the level that he does? No one. There's no other God good enough that he does this. <clears throat> uh, and so evangelism and social justice are, are united because what is God trying to do? He's trying to undo the evil in us. Yes. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, I can speak to Christians and non-Christians in the same way, yep. using the same emotional framework, the same motivational framework, uh, and invite them to make slightly different choices, but all along that continuum. High bar conversion, uh, growth-oriented yes. discipleship towards the the most challenging aspects of Jesus' teaching, which are social justice and evangelism. I called non-Christians to conversion to do more evangelism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right? How how did it go? (laughs) uh, Five people uh, became Christians that night. Mm. And and this was years ago, so, you you know, a little— Years later, I followed up on those people, and they were still growing. Um, one had, for example, shifted her major to education to, mm. you know, focus more on kids. I mean, it was it yeah. was in, it was everything you'd want to see a, right. as a person in ministry. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and everyone else stood up. And yeah, can I? That's really helpful. Can I make some observations about this? Yes. There, there is a there's a different telos too to this gospel. See, yes. when, I, when I received the penal substitutionary atonement as the gospel, it was, it was uh, receive this incredible gift on your behalf that you can't earn or pay back, and then notice the gap between what you deserve and what you're getting, and keep noticing that until gratitude or thankfulness lay hold of you, and then out of that gratitude and thankfulness, then that will propel you into some sort of obedience until mm-hmm. you go to heaven. Right. Um. What you're describing is we're actually caught up. Jesus in, uh, assumes who we are to make us who he is. This is Irenaeus, yeah. right? Um, and we actually become partakers of the divine nature, Second Peter, and we yep. participate in the very life of God. What is that? Well, you know, uh, Eastern Orthodox talk, talks about theosis or divinization, but uh, I think most Protestants are, are more comfortable with, we participate in the very life of the Trinity. We, we're in Christ. 
And mm. that means we're moving towards the world with his power, presence, and resources to bring healing, redemption, and restoration. So, yeah. that, so that salvation isn't unto me being forgiven in heaven. Salvation is unto the redemption and restoration of all things. Mm. Yes. So, yes. So an altar call then is me moving towards that child in prostitution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, yes. that's the confession of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it, it blows open the doors of so many problems we have with stagnant discipleship or yeah. your gospel's too small or how do we marry just social justice and, and uh, the gospel together? Well, it, it completely changes the way we ask those questions because our gospel's been too small for so long. That's right. It hasn't been enough to contain God's desire for us. That's right. And for every person who is outside this room yes, or, you know, outside this conversation. And and I think that um, you're touching on so many aspects that, you know, of the the ripple effects and the ramifications that I've worked through. For example, as an Asian American uh, or a person of Japanese descent, um, thankfulness was not what my emotional response was. It was more guilt. Yes, yep. I've heard you say this. Will you just name how a person who comes from an honor-shame culture yep. deals with PSA differently than somebody who comes from an innocent guilt culture? Yes. Well, it has to do with uh, a little bit of how, you know, I, I uh, my parents talked to me when I was young, which is, don't you know how much I sacrificed for you? And <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I did know, right? I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. and it, it, it made me, it, it, and it worked. I mean, I was a pretty compliant kid, and mm-hmm. but it was a joyless obedience because in some ways I felt like, I'm, well, am I, am I only a burden to you? Mm. Right? And, and are you assuming that I never wanted to do good uh, just by itself that you need to remind me of your experience, yeah, right? So, yeah. so, so there's something I'm getting a message of like essentially total depravity, right? It, it just has a lot of resonance with that um, where I, I can't really trust anything in myself or, or consider anything in myself that would lead me to a sense of vocation or whatever. <clears throat> um, and, and so it creates debt obligation. Uh, and and then when when penal substitutionary atonement is put is, is comes through the mouth of a lot of uh, Asian preachers or honor shame kind of background folks, uh, it sounds a lot like that. Don't you know how much God sacrificed for you? Mm-hmm. And so, don't you know how much Jesus sacrificed for you? And the feeling is, well, I get it, but um, is that all I am to God? Mm-hmm. Am I just a burden to God? Wow. Uh, so it's a joyless obedience, and um, it also leads to um, a, a, a certain willingness to use um, verbal, I, I would say, uh, manipulate emotional manipulation and and abuse as well. Yeah. So it didn't lead to gratitude. It just led to more guilt and shame. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Distant distant father image, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, it, it's the, yeah. I, I want to be close to God, but God has yeah. to be somehow persuaded to be close yeah. to me. Yes. <clears throat> I remember and, Dallas Willard saying, uh, I heard him speaking one time and he was talking about this problem in kind of our standard ways of thinking about the atonement and what it's supposed to do for you. And he said, you know, he said something similar where it's like, well, you, you know, you, you, you think about the sacrifice of Jesus 
and the theory is that you'll feel thankful enough to obey. And then he just paused and he said, well, just look around. That doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Well, uh, Mako, we really could, I could talk to you for uh, all day. Uh, but you've given us so much of your time here, and yeah, um, I really think the work you're doing at the Anastasia Center that we believe in is helping people make sense of their faith in a way that coheres with God and reality and Scripture. And um, so, thank you for your work. Uh, mm. Obviously, the Anastasia Center is a place people can connect with your work. Are you guys doing another? Uh, I know you're doing like a national gathering. You did one last year. Are you doing another one this year? We're still thinking about that. Um, it, it will probably be, probably be next year and focused on um, kind of counseling concerns, pastoral concerns okay. about, uh, for example, integrating <clears throat> uh, attachment theory and atonement theory. Right? How do we talk? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Very important. That. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> a, a bit of trauma-informed ministry and yeah. how, how does atonement plain to that like <clears throat> so that's really big um we want that to be high quality uh, sure. I, I yes so there's that and um right now i'm leading a cohort in a long repentance it's about to start uh Ooh. tomorrow it's starting so tomorrow for your feedback on that yeah so that'll be on zoom okay um and and i want to do that regularly okay uh, just to touch all time zones and stuff. great great well we'll put a link to the that study in our show notes and okay. Anastasia Center in our show notes, just so people have access to that. Yeah. And I'm going to yep. try to throw a couple of my favorite atonement articles you've written. I know people are going to want to read more about this, and I'll mm. throw a couple of those in there as well. Great. Terrific. Yep. Right. Thanks so much, Mako. Thank you, yep. uh, Matt and Ben, for having me on. It's always really fun to talk. And yep. I- I'm sure your listeners will have lots of questions. And so um, I- I'm-, I'm happy to get an email. Great. That's great. so great. That's great. All right. Can they find your email address on the website, on the Anastasia Center? Okay. Yep. They can just do a contact us. Great. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. Peace. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen. On sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save 